0: Is that
1: 3, 2,
0: 1, and action. Taxes. That's where my story begins. I heard that today was a good day to talk to you about taxes. My name is Matthew, but I wasn't born Matthew, I was born... As Levi I was born in Galilee I'm Jewish I was born in Galilee when it was occupied by the Roman Empire we hated the Romans we wanted our own nation we wanted the promised land back but it hadn't been ours in hundreds of years really the Roman Empire was just the latest on a long list of occupiers We thought for sure the Messiah would be coming soon to to save us, and he did show up soon. He just didn't save us in the way we were expecting. We were an occupied people, and it was a difficult existence. Our people had trouble making a living. We we worried about having food on the table and clothes and, and a roof over our head. It was not easy back then. But there was one way that you could be sure to make money and maybe even be rich. Become a tax collector. The only problem was that you'd be collecting taxes from people you had known your whole life. People that loved you and knew you and you'd be collecting those taxes for the enemy, for the Roman Empire. So you'd be hated just like the Romans were hated. They'd call you names like sellout and thief and definitely traitor. I mean, tax collectors weren't even included in the word sinner back then. We were a special category, tax collectors were, of sinners. Worst of the worst, they were considered. Worse than a Roman soldier because... They were Jewish people who had decided to oppress their own people, steal from their own people, side with the enemy. They were worse than than Roman soldiers. People, they, they were ostracized, snubbed, left out. Religious leaders talked about tax collectors like they weren't even people anymore. Synagogues and the temple wouldn't accept their giving, their alms. They were considered so dishonest that they weren't allowed to testify in Jewish court. So most tax collectors figured, if I'm going to be treated that way, I might as well get rich doing it. And the Roman Empire allowed those tax collectors to take more money than what was required to line their own pockets to make themselves rich, to steal from their own people in the name of Rome. As long as Caesar got his money, he didn't care how much more tax collectors took from the people. And so it was a bad time to be a tax collector if you wanted to also be a good Jew. It was a bad time to do that. But I wanted money and lots of it. So that's what I became. Levi, the tax collector. Levi, the traitor, the one who had chosen the Roman Empire over his own people. Levi, the sellout. That's who I was. And honestly, I had just accepted it. I just hung out with other tax collectors. I didn't spend time with the religious people who, who looked down on me all the time. We just, we just hung out together. We didn't go to synagogue. We didn't go to the temple. But we knew we were damned. We were sure to be judged by a wrathful God. Hopeless cases. And so when Jesus started teaching and, and ministering in our area, we were... We were interested, sure. But we just figured he'd be like every other rabbi and religious leader. He wouldn't want anything to do with us. We were too far gone to be saved. But then I heard that Jesus called common fishermen to be his disciples. And they weren't tax collectors, but they were a rough bunch. I knew some of them. They definitely weren't educated, at least I was educated. I heard some of Jesus' teachings secondhand, and they they just kind of stuck with me. I couldn't get them out of my head, really. Like like this one, my, my friend told me that Jesus had said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I was everybody's enemy. Everybody hated me. No one, no one prayed for me. They wouldn't waste a prayer on the likes of me. It was an interesting thought. And this other one from another guy that, that heard Jesus speak one time, he said that Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That one stuck with me because I had spent my whole life gathering riches. I had spent my whole life making my priority to get rich, to have what I need and to have what I want. I didn't really know what Jesus meant by storing up Treasures in heaven. I couldn't get my mind around that, but it haunted me for days on end. Was there really something else besides this earth? This life? I wasn't sure. Jesus, he seemed different than the other religious leaders and rabbis. Like they wouldn't have anything to do with us. But I heard that Jesus one time He healed a Roman centurion servant. That was too good to be true. I couldn't even believe it. Like everybody hated Roman soldiers almost as much as they hated tax collectors. So why would Jesus help this Roman soldier? And the guy who told me the story told me that that Jesus even praised the Roman centurion for his faith. He He remembered Jesus saying something like, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel... Have I found such faith? I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. Jesus, he, he was different than the other rabbis and religious leaders we had run into. My, my tax collector friends even wanted to go hear Jesus in person, they wanted to see him in person, but we could never get past the crowds. Nobody would let us in. They always said we couldn't come in. The day I met Jesus, he had, he had just done this amazing miracle just right before I met him. I was that day just sitting in my normal place in the market at my table collecting taxes. I had my ledgers out and I had my counting equipment out and all of that and a a line was formed to turn in their taxes. I was collecting taxes and stealing money from my own people that day. Then all of a sudden, like people got excited and they started to run off in this one direction and people from my line even left and ran off. And I asked everybody, Where, where's everybody going? But nobody would, nobody would answer me or even look at me. But I heard somebody say something about, about Jesus. And I stayed at my table and kept collecting those taxes and a few minutes later, I saw two guys carrying another man, their friend, on a bed. He was paralyzed. And they were headed in the same direction, and I thought, if they're trying to get to Jesus, they're just not going to get to him. Like the crowd going that way is just too big. I told them as much, but they didn't listen. A few moments later, as my line got shorter and shorter, as I collected taxes, I, I noticed two Pharisees just storm off in the opposite direction and they were ticked off. Anytime a pharisee's ticked off, it's a good day for me. He was they were ticked off and I heard one of them say something like who does this Jesus think he is and I just kept doing my work. Then people started running. A few started running from where they had gone back to where I was and they were just ecstatic telling everybody about this great thing that Jesus had done and And this whole thing, and come to find out those two guys who were carrying the paralyzed guy, they did actually get their friend to Jesus. They couldn't get through the crowd, so they climbed up on the house that Jesus was teaching in, made a hole in the roof, I bet the owner of the house was pumped about that, made a hole in the roof, and lowered their paralyzed friend down right next to Jesus. And the story went that Jesus had just looked at the paralyzed man and said, Your sins are forgiven. I bet that's what ticked those Pharisees off. Your sins are forgiven. But I heard that Jesus put them in their place big time because he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And then Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he did, he was totally healed. It was this amazing thing that happened. And as the story spread and, and all that was going on, as I was sitting at my tax collector table with all my stuff out, trying to steal more money from people, as the story spread, everybody just ran off towards where Jesus was to see for themselves what had happened. And I was left just sitting at my table alone. Nobody was around, nobody to collect taxes from, nobody to steal from. But I knew I wasn't welcome over there, so I didn't, I didn't go over there. Then after a while, I noticed a crowd of people moving down the street towards me. And they were moving slowly, which could only mean one thing. Jesus was coming my way. And I was filled with this dread. I did not want to have an encounter with a rabbi today. I mean, what was he going to say? He probably probably condemn me. He'd probably say something nasty, like I was worse worse than a than a sinner because I was a tax collector. That I was a traitor. So I wasn't looking forward to it at all. But I had a full 15 or 20 minutes to watch them slowly walk down the street towards me. And a couple times I thought about bailing. I thought about packing up my stuff and getting out of there. But something held me there that day. Then when Jesus and the crowd got near to my table, I just hoped that Jesus would kind of just walk by and not notice me. But that didn't happen. Jesus looked at me, and he started to walk towards me at my table. And I was at my table stuck going, great, what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say? Maybe he owes some taxes? I didn't know. (laughs) So he's coming towards me, and I'm just stuck looking at him, hoping that this is going to end soon, hoping that whatever he has in mind, it won't hurt too much. I've been hurt by rabbis before. But when Jesus got to my table, he he just looked at me and said, follow me. And I thought I had misheard him. I was like, surely a rabbi didn't just ask me, a tax collector, to follow him, to become his disciple. Surely that's not what happened. I mean, what was Jesus up to? What was his ploy? Was this a trick to somehow humiliate me in front of all of these people? No, it wasn't. Because as I looked into Jesus' eyes, I, I felt unworthy to be noticed by him. But I also knew without a shadow of a doubt that he, he loved me. And his request for me to follow him was, was real. I had been an outcast. A social pariah, a traitor, the worst of the worst, they called me for most of my life. And listen, I deserved it. I was the worst of the worst. I had chosen the enemy. I had chosen to steal from my own people. I was the worst kind of sinner. So I knew I did not deserve what Jesus was offering me. But I also knew that people like me never got this chance and definitely never got a second chance. Deep down inside, I'd always wanted a way out, a way to make up for all of my sin. But I was drowning. Everybody hated me. I heard it day in and day out what a horrible person I was. There was no way out. But now Jesus, Jesus was offering me one. All that was going on in my head, and then I, I looked up at Jesus and I realized he had just been standing there patiently waiting for me to answer him. Same look in his eyes. And so I didn't make him wait any longer. I got up from my table, my table where I had been collecting taxes and stealing from my own people, my table of shame and sin, and I followed Jesus. I just went with Jesus. I became one of his disciples with the fishermen. I followed him from that day forward. Jesus, he He looked past what I had become on the outside, and he saw my heart. Jesus was after my my heart. That's the way he is. He's not after your religious activity. He's after your heart. Jesus wants your heart. And once he gets that, everything else will follow. That's what happened to me. I stopped collecting taxes and stealing from people, and I threw my whole self into following Jesus. I sold out again, but this time it was a good thing. My treasure was in Jesus, and so my heart followed that. I didn't care about getting rich anymore. All I cared about was serving Jesus. I was the worst of the worst. He had done so much for me. I was the worst kind of sinner, worse than a normal sinner, and yet he had chosen me. I couldn't believe he had chosen me, wicked, greedy, self-centered me. I didn't know what the correct religious response was in a situation like this. I'm not a religious person. I didn't know what to do. Maybe, maybe I was supposed to sacrifice a lamb or say a long, boring prayer. I wasn't sure. But that didn't feel like me. So I just did what came naturally. I did what I usually did when I wanted to celebrate. I, I threw a party. You guys don't throw parties? I threw a party. I had a feast at my house, and I invited all of my sinful tax collector buddies over. They, they were the only friends I had. And plus, I figured if Jesus could change me, who knew, maybe he could change some of them too. So I invited Jesus and the disciples and my sinful tax collector buddies over for a feast. And the Pharisees didn't like that. I remember, they didn't, they didn't think, the Pharisees didn't think rabbis should be hanging out with tax collectors. That, that reminds me of a joke. A rabbi A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a bar. (laughs) Wait, is this not the place to say jokes like that? I'm sorry, I still don't know how to act in places like this. I'll save it for another time. Anyways, the Pharisees, they didn't like this whole scene. They didn't think rabbis and Jesus' disciples should be hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And so they came over to Peter and the disciples. They didn't know I was a disciple at the time and... They just said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see what I mean? Tax collectors and sinners. We were a special category of hell-bound degenerates. And we were sitting right there. But they didn't care. But what Jesus said next, it changed my life. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Physician. But those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It made sense. I mean, if Jesus was really from God, then he he wouldn't hang out with just righteous people, just self-righteous people who, who had it all together, were healthy, right? Or at least thought they were He'd hang out with people who were sick. He'd hang out with people who needed him. He'd hang out with people like Levi. Me and my my friends, he'd he'd hang out with us. Jesus had come to show us, to call us to repentance. And I was thinking in that moment, yeah, repentance, that's that's what this is. That's what I did. I, I repented. I, I changed. Jesus came into my life of sin, and I left that life of sin, and I changed, and I went this other direction as I followed him. I repented. It all made sense. R- repentance isn't, isn't about doing everything that's right on the outside. It's about realizing that you're broken on the inside. It's a heart change that leads to a life change. I had repented and my life had been changed. Jesus had come for me, for me and my tax collector buddies, to call us to repentance, to show us that we could be different, to show us that he was there to change us, transform us, make us new. Actually, my my buddy Paul wrote, something like that about 20 years after Jesus said that. He he wrote that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's what happened to me. I used to be Levi, but now I was a totally different person. I, I was Matthew now. I... Jesus had, had changed my heart. He had gone after my heart. I was honest with him. I had repented, and he had made me new. That's who Jesus was. That's the way he worked. That's how it worked in my life. I never, I never stopped wanting to tell everybody about Jesus after that first party I threw, it wasn't the first. I never, it wasn't the only one. I never stopped trying to tell people about Jesus, who he was and, and what he did and how the, the change he brought was inward to outward, not the other way around. And, and how he didn't want you to clean yourself up before you could come to him, but that he wanted you to be honest before him so that he could transform your heart. I never stopped wanting people to hear that message and have a chance to be changed like I was changed. That's, that's why I wrote what I did. I wanted to compile an account of all that Jesus had done and said, his message. A gospel account. That's why I wrote what I did. But I included something in my gospel account that, that Luke, Mark, and John didn't include in theirs. I think it was just because it didn't stand out to them like it stood out to me because of my past, because of who I was, because of Levi. It was one day when Jesus was teaching and he said something pretty hard-hitting to the Pharisees. He said that we should listen to them when they taught because they had this authority that was from God, but that we shouldn't imitate what they did because they preach, but they do not practice. And that ticked the Pharisees off. They did not like that at all. In fact, that, that's why they killed them. That's why they killed Jesus. Jesus. Because every time he said something like this, he took power and influence away from the most powerful men in our culture. That's why they killed him. They didn't like what he said then, and they didn't like what he said next either. But he said the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And then he started in on them. Jesus started in on the Pharisees with these woes. He kept saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He just kept going over and over and over. And I don't know, I don't know if you use the word woe very often. But it means, it means, oh, no. And in my culture, it was used to pronounce a judgment on someone, a, a bad one. So Jesus was saying these woes to the Pharisees. But let me explain a couple things really quick. First of all, I want to be clear. Jesus wasn't saying these things about the Pharisees to us 12 in some back room. He wasn't whispering about the Pharisees, the most powerful men in the culture. No, he was out in front saying this in front of crowds, saying this to the Pharisees. So you might have this idea of Jesus that he kind of just floats around like a fairy, just kind of sprinkling love dust here and love dust there. And he no no rebuking, no holding accountable, no grieving over sin, no righteous wrath for your continued disobedience. You might have this idea that Jesus is just sweeping everything under the rug. Love, love, love. It doesn't matter. Grace, grace here. Love, love here you might have that idea but I'm telling you I was there that's not the way he was Jesus had equal love for the sinner and righteous wrath for the for the hypocrite he constantly called people out for their sin he was raising the standard everywhere he went And the other thing is, when Jesus was pronouncing these woes, he wasn't wasn't happy about it. He he wasn't rubbing it in their faces. He was grieved. That's what woe means. It means to grieve. He knew what was going to happen. He knew where they were headed. He knew that they were deceived, and heaven and hell hung in the balance. He was saddened by this truth. But he loved them enough and us enough to say it out loud. He wanted the Pharisees to have a chance to repent, to change, to be changed like I was changed. If a tax collector could do it, surely a Pharisee could do it also. He was saddened by the truth, but he didn't hold back because he loved us. He loved them. And all of these woes, they, they all had to do with, with stopping the pretending, with taking off the mask, with being honest before Jesus about the sin in our hearts. They, they all had to do with this idea that, that, that it's, we give our hearts to Jesus first, we're honest to him first, and then our outward actions and our outward lives change. So to the Pharisees that day, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. You see what I mean? Jesus was saying, it makes no sense to get your outside pretty for everybody else while your inside stays filthy. It makes no sense to pretend like everything's fine on the outside and clean and pure on the outside when your inside is dying. It makes no sense. Then Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside. But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus was saying over and over, it's about your heart. It's not about your religious acts. It makes no sense for you to do religious acts of righteousness when your heart is lost. Start with your heart. Jesus was saying, be honest before me. Start with your heart. That's what this is about. And listen, it was a radical teaching. Because our whole lives, we had been taught that righteousness... Comes from doing. But Jesus was saying that righteousness comes from being. We've been taught our whole lives that it didn't matter what was going on in our thoughts or in our hearts. All that matters is that we did the religious acts of righteousness, the good works. That's all that mattered. But Jesus was saying over and over and over the requirement is not perfection, it's honesty. Righteousness comes from the inside out, not the other way around. I I couldn't fit everything that Jesus said and did into the account that I wrote. It would have taken a lot of pages. But I wanted to make sure I got what he said to the Pharisees that day into what I wrote. Because I wanted everybody who read it to hear that Jesus doesn't want you to clean yourself up before you come to him. He just wants you to be honest. That there's no requirement to clean the outside of the cup and the plate. To whitewash the tomb before Jesus will accept you. That that's backwards. That what Jesus' message was about was that the first step is to take off the mask, stop the pretending, and be honest before Jesus. And that's my story. I, I used to be Levi, the tax collector, the trader. But now I'm Matthew, the apostle, the gospel writer. I used to sell out to, to greed and selfishness and money and all of that. But now I so, I, I'm sold out to Jesus. Jesus Because I was honest about my struggling, sinful heart. Jesus, He made me new. He made me new. So, my take, my perspective on Jesus, is that He wants your heart. He wants your heart first. Once He has that, everything else will change. So, have you been honest with God about the sin that's going on inside your heart? Or are you just pretending like the Pharisees? Jesus can transform you from the inside out. Just ask him.
1: All right, everybody, Um, I would love just to pray for us this morning. Lord God, I don't know where we're at. I don't know what we're doing, and I don't know what we're hearing, God, but I pray that you just really speak in our hearts and let us know that the fact that no matter how far gone we are, no matter how deep we are into maybe our ugliness, and the torment that we're suffering through. God, I pray that you just lift us up, that we seek you, and that we know that we can run to you for anything. Just like Matthew could change, we can change too. And I thank you every day for reminding me. The days I mess up, you're there to pick me up. And I pray whatever we're going through, God, Let us remember that, that we are your children and that you're never going to give up on us. We may give up on you sometimes, but you still love us the same. You're amazing. You're powerful. You're everlasting. And I know if we try, we reach to you. We long for you. We can change from the inside out. We just have to allow it, we just have to want it. It's my prayer. It's my prayer for all of us. No matter how far we are, we can continue to seek you. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your holy name, amen. As I said, I don't know where all of you are at, whatever's going on in your minds. We're going to have an opportunity for you to be prayed for. We're going to have prayer workers on the sign. I love to call them prayer warriors because I believe that's what we're doing. We're fighting a battle. We're fighting the evils of this world and the temptations that the devil's trying to pour on us and tell us, no, you're ugly, you're this, you can't be good. But God tells us otherwise. He says we can. We can be redeemed. And he loves us. And so I encourage you, if you feel God is calling you today. And you need to be prayed with, our brothers and sisters in Christ will be there on the sides to pray with you. And so, with that, we all stand with us and join us. We're going to be singing together one last song saying that God is everlasting, that He's good. And, you know, I just want to point out from you learning today and just hearing from Matthew's perspective of changing that life change and that He was able to do it. Be willing to share that. Make disciples. Just as you became a follower of God, be willing to make that and disciple other people and love one another the way God loves us. And so with that, let us just sing and just give our God the love and the praise he deserves. All right? Let's sing to him. i oh, See you next time.